Welcome to the Revolutionaries of Wellbeing podcast. I'm founder and host, Sarah McGuinness. The Revolutionaries of Wellbeing, or RO, is a community of wellbeing managers from organizations around the globe. At RO, we develop you as a wellbeing leader, giving you a powerful support network, professional development, and workplace wellbeing solutions so that you can focus on giving your employees the right support at the right time. To be stronger, better, and faster at improving wellbeing in your workplace, professional development is key. These discussions on workplace wellbeing are designed to inspire, share ideas, and raise awareness of important issues we can all take action on. The interviews are recorded as part of our monthly Wellbeing Wednesday webinars. In this interview, we look at how to develop and measure a wellbeing framework. Trustide Arfiti is a regional development funder on the east coast of New Zealand. Over the past few years, the team has designed and developed a wellbeing framework and wellbeing impact assessment tool to support their board and staff to make measurable investment decisions into the communities of Tairawhiti, Gisborne. The framework, Hetoru Ora, was launched in late 2020, and work continues to refine the measures and determine how do we track wellbeing across a diverse community group and how do we best measure success over a long period of time. Joining us in this session is Irina Hurahanganui to discuss the Trust's journey to this point. She reveals the complexities of developing such a framework and how the Trust has been able to translate it into its day-to-day operations, which now focus on community and economic well-being. Welcome everybody into this. I guess um, the the key kind of um, origins of Trust Tairawhiti came from the um, Electricity Network deregulation that happened back in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, And there's actually many um, kind of energy trusts around New Zealand uh, similar to ours. But uh, when we did, uh, when there was a process of deregulation and electricity became a commercialised sector, um, in Tairawhiti, our Poverty Bay Power Board created a commercial entity, which was the network, and then they also created our trust, and the trust became the, sh- the sole shareholder of the electricity network. And so the idea was is that our commercial entity would create um, or provide dividends to the trust, and then the trust would distribute it out to communities. Um, and as part of that process, we actually have a few functions. One is economic development and one is community development. So that our two key functions are commercial entity, we're the sole shareholder and we distribute those dividends year upon year. Yeah. You're actually quite a small team, aren't you, for the amount of impact that you have? Yeah, we are at the moment. There's about 38 of us um, and uh, just over the last four years we've been through quite significant change where we've actually uh, um, brought the Economic Development Agency for the region into the actual trust as well as the regional tourism office. So uh, we've actually become one trust. We have our community development arm, our economic development agency and our regional tourism office. So yeah, we're a small team, uh, but we are made up of um, quite independent teams within within the trust. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking, because I had the pleasure of attending the um, the annual meeting, uh, general annual meeting last year. And I wonder if you might share some of the stories that people spoke of in terms of the impact you have, because even that alone in terms of wellbeing was just amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, one of our real um, unique advantages as a trust is that we are relatively broad in terms of what we fund. Um, It is definitely regionally focused, but uh, we will, 
you know, we, we, we can fund um, economic development opportunities, startup business, uh, Komatua groups coming from the coast down to uh, to go to the swimming pools once a week, to uh, young people who don't have an entity, but they actually have a really great idea that they want to um, try and harness or enhance. So there's quite a breadth to what we will f- what we will fund. Um, and so we do get quite a broad range of community coming to our AGMs uh, to talk about what they've done. Um, and with our commercial entity behind us, they've actually grown our portfolio of assets since the late 80s. So we do actually have quite a good capital reserve. So we can actually invest quite significantly into, into projects in the region. Uh, so yeah, the diversity goes from three to four, five, five million right down to five hundred dollars because that's all a community groups asked for. So yeah, our AGM, we do tend to have that quite diverse range of people coming forward to tell us kind of the impact of of uh what their funding has done in in the region and for their group, which is quite nice for us to hear. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. I think it was thinking of the, the helicopter group. Yeah, yeah. And certainly we fund a lot of the operations in the region that we know cannot uh, self-sustain themselves uh, through any kind of revenue earning streams, uh, like our helicopter rescue, which is a huge service in our community. Uh, in fact, no one will argue that why we invest in them year upon year. Um, yeah, when you know when it comes to well-being, saving lives is right up there. So uh, yeah, we've got we've got uh, the helicopter trust that we support. We have things like the Tidafiti Voyaging Trust, which is a, a double-hulled waka that we have, which is like a classroom on water in the region that we can fund into. Uh, yeah, so there's some quite uh, really impactful things that we fund in the region that, you know, we know that as a region and intuitively most people will tell us what the impact is, but this is part of our journey of starting to actually measure what that wellbeing impact looks like for us. Yeah. Mm. And so that leads quite nicely into how the wellbeing framework came about. You know, tell us back right from the early journey, what what was sparked that piece of work? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think um, for the trustees at the time in 2017, when we knew that there was the development of a um, wellbeing budget coming from central government, um, we were very mindful that for Te Tairawhiti, uh, our, our, our actual way that we articulate what wellbeing means to us as a region um, and being able to capture our Tairawhiti-centric take on what wellbeing is tends to get lost when central government's looking at big data sets where we tend to, as a region, be lumped in with other areas like Hawke's Bay or Northland uh, to actually be able to capture what wellbeing means to us in order to be able to create a budget that allocates towards those wellbeing priorities. We knew we'd, we potentially were going to get a bit lost in terms of that type of funding resource coming to our region. So as a regional trust, the trustees really felt it would be great to start to look at how we invest in wellbeing as a trust, uh, knowing that this was happening at a national level, but also um, really wanting to structure all our investment and funding decisions around a a, a kind of uh, conceptual framework uh, around wellbeing and what it means to our communities. So that's kind of where the um, the idea stemmed from 
um, and the the trustees were very aware at the time that uh, being able to capture data on wellbeing and, in fact, what types of questions you ask to to get a sense of what wellbeing means. And like you mentioned at the beginning, it's a very difficult and complex area. Quite often, people are doing things in isolation of each other around wellbeing. So, you've really got to kind of connect into the networks that are doing something because, yeah, you, you don't go to varsity to get a wellbeing degree. But uh, so we started that process of looking at what an investment framework might look like uh, based on what a wellbeing kind of framework would look like. And so our trustees commissioned research and that's kind of the starting point of how we've ended up today. Yeah. And and one of the things that I was thinking, we were just talking about this just earlier, is that a lot of the, the process that you've been through in developing this could be applied to an organisation. In many ways, it's the same sorts of principles of working out what is well-being you know what how do we measure it all, all those sorts of things yeah absolutely um so just in terms of that research that we did it's on our website there's a report there that kind of talks around the the type of literature review that our researcher did it gives you some really good insights into different types of well-being frameworks uh, both here in New Zealand and around the world so everyone's more than welcome to go on the website and check that out because that was certainly our starting point but yeah I mean I think there's some principles that can apply that we've we've done to creating a well-being framework whether it's an organizational well-being framework and in our case it's a community-driven well-being framework but really the the kind of principles of engaging with the people that you're uh, servicing or working with or um, that you employ and kind of getting a sense from people what wellbeing means to them. For us, that question was quite difficult because lots of people, number one, wanted to know what wellbeing actually meant first. Um, and then number two, realising that people have diverse opinions around what wellbeing means to them so um, that in itself was quite a quite a um, insightful process for us to actually start to engage out in our communities around this idea around wellbeing uh, what we did find and what kind of uh, guided us with our research was that most people um, will connect it to health um, and uh, physical health and, and mental health, but most people will actually make that connection to health. Um, and then as you start to drill down into the conversations around wellbeing, we start to get a sense around people's um, people's desire to have really well families, um, to live a good um, work-life balance, uh, to make sure that their house, you know, they've got good housing, uh, that they're able to access the basics and beyond, uh, that their children have got a good education, uh, that they're able to thrive in their work. So as you start to drill down, you start people start to actually talk about a lot, um, a lot of the deeper uh, determinants around well-being that they might not necessarily think about when you first ask them about well-being. Yeah. Mm. And I wonder if you could talk about some of the process that you went through, because I know it was really engaged. I mean, at the AMP show, you had a, you know, a giant stand, but there was lots of other work that went on too, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. We, um, we, were, we were very mindful at the time with our engagement because in the region, um, we started kind of, uh, doing an engagement or we planned an engagement program for 2019, but we were very mindful that in 2018, a lot of different groups and agencies had been in the region engaging with different groups different communities and so there was quite a lot of um, engagement fatigue especially around this idea of well-being. Um, we had the Children's Commission coming in, uh, we had uh, MSD uh, 
in here all talking about well-being but in different ways yeah um and we had the social well-being agency in the region so we, yeah we had quite a lot of different uh, agencies and groups in the region in 2018 so with our engagement program what we decided to do was actually just call on the networks that we have as a as an organization because we work with communities and businesses and tourism so actually just reaching out to our existing networks and then trying to uh, through a process of discovery try to just keep connecting out and out and out out into the communities and not not making it um, an engagement program as such for a lot of our groups but just trying to connect in on quite a intimate level with focus groups we didn't hold big community public hui we we kept it quite contained and we approached different communities like our pacifica community and asked them what would be the best way for them um, to find out also realizing that quite a lot of these community groups and organizations were actually wanting to do something around well-being in their organizations anyway so just trying to um, find something that was mutually beneficial for both of us in terms of being able to develop up this notion of well-being so a lot of our groups that we connected to uh, we shared the data right back with them in terms of what their people or staff or people that they were supporting told us about well-being um, as well as share it back to the group that gave us the information just because we could see how it would benefit not only the people that told us what they thought about well-being but the people that were actually part of the bigger community of those groups so yeah we did a lot of under the radar stuff but then we did do some big public engagements like the AMP show um, and we did some radio advertising it really just kind of depends on who came forward and we found that our engagement ended up just growing and growing as people understood what it was as we were trying to do. Mm. That's amazing. And I, I do remember there was kind of a, a buzz around, you know, people trying to engage in that, you know, even at the AMP show, yeah, there were people kind of coming in and exploring and trying to. Yep. So how much of it was conversation and how much of it was, and I'm also putting a bit of an organisational hat here thinking, you know, and applying in that that way, how much was survey, how much was conversation, how much was external data that you already had yeah so we had uh so we had uh, a lot of our research data to begin with yeah a lot of our focus was on conversation because what we realized is that people had different ideas around well-being and so it was quite hard to uh, get a sense of uh the much deeper meanings that people um, had in terms of well-being. So a lot of our stuff was very conversational. In our focus groups, we actually um, spent three to four hours with our focus groups. And of course, Kai always helps in those types of focus groups. There was a good food, some good coffee and drinks and just conversation. But depending on who the group was, we we would connect into them via the fact that they were all from Tairawhiti. So we talked about when they were children, what was life like here? You know, over the years, they now have children themselves. What do they What do they think about this notion of community well-being, you know, since they were young to now? So depending on who the group was, we, we were very specific with our conversation around talking about well-being. But what we really wanted to understand was what does well-being mean to people in our, in our region and so lots of conversations consent and permission to record so we recorded a lot of the um, discussions the scripts were transcribed and sent back out to the group and it was an opportunity for them to add 
stuff that they felt they needed to say and hadn't said in the group or delete anything that they wanted to delete at that time. And the agreement was once they did the edit, then that was what we were going to use to analyse uh, what people are saying. So, yeah, it varied from quite a lot of focused conversations through to kind of pop-up, uh, high-level um, post-it note type questions to people. Yeah. And then tell us about the process. So that's an extraordinary amount of data that you must have had. How do you take it from all of that data to something much smaller as a, as a framework? Sorry. You're good. My, water went, my water went down the wrong way. Um, yeah, so what we did is we um, had all these transcripts and uh, we got a qualitative software program called Invivo. And um, the program um, handles big qualitative sets of, of information. So it, it themes words um, and then it allows you to pick a broader context around a particular word that keeps repeating itself. Um, and then you're able to kind of fine-tune. Here's a lot of the different um, words that people used and then broaden out the context of it and then kind of analyse within the broader context what people were actually saying. So we, we used InVivo a lot to go through our qualitative analysis, um, getting keywords and themes. Um, and we took our original research, which actually created a... Uh, draft framework for us and we organised all our feedback into that original framework uh, just to see if there was anything unique that was coming through that wasn't actually under the structure of that framework um, and what we found is that there were two key things that the framework didn't address uh, which our region was talking to us about. One was the real desire to have good community facilities and that a lot of people felt that having good community facilities helped the community to connect. And through that connection, wellbeing is enhanced. So that was one of the things that our research didn't tell us. The other was just how important our community felt about young people and young people's health and wellbeing. So when we used the um, predetermined framework in our research, we found that those were the two things that were quite unique that didn't actually come through in the research. Um, and then we took the framework away from our original research and just let the actual uh, software program start to analyse without any kind of predetermined structure what some of the key themes were and keywords and everything. And what we found is that there was a really strong correlation between our original research and what our engagement data was telling us. So uh, we were, we felt we were going to find something completely unique and out there and, you know, this research is just never going to know about it. But what we actually realised is that uh, a lot of what our original research told us, it was correlated through talking to our our engagement, yeah, our community engagement. So a lot of our stuff was done with qualitative analysis. We approached EIT, which is our local um, Institute of Technology, and we um, secured three graduates from the computing systems course because we were very mindful about building regional capability because we knew that a lot of the expert capability uh, exists outside of region, and we knew that there wasn't anything local. So at the same time, we were trying to build that capability locally so, yeah, we had three graduates helping us with that analysis. They were all 
uh, born and raised here as young people with their families, big families, some from the coast. So they just brought a real good um, community and business view to the analysis as well, which was great. Yeah. Yeah. Would have been amazing. And so should we should we do the big unveiling of what the model looks like? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm going, to, I'm going to share my screen everyone. Actually, or should we should we do that or should we show the video? Uh yeah, if you want to show the video, show the video. Just to give a bit of a sense of the yeah. organization. Okay. Let's do that. All right. I will um, share this in just a second. I'm just going to make sure it's going to play for us. Okay, yep, they're just going to play for us. That's good. Right, okie dokie. Let me share this with you. And I, really, I might just get you to double check that this comes through okay. We're sharing. You can all see that okay? You can see that? Cool. You can hear that okay? Our great journey began more than 25 years ago. With the passage of time, our vision has become clearer. Transforming Tairawhiti into a place of te mana, shared pride. Where culture connects. Relationships empower. And nature endures. Shared prosperity, where people flourish, business booms, and tourism thrives. Tiwihi, shared opportunity, where children dream. unite and futures inspire as the sun rises over Tairawhiti you'll find our people where they are needed most at the heart of our communities on this journey of transformation Kaitiaki of precious Tonga shared for generations to come we are Trust Tairawhiti I'll stop the share out of that one. I still get goosebumps every time I watch that. <laughs> it's such a powerful video. All right, I'll um I will bring up now the um the model. All right, and we can share that with everyone. Kidoki. Yeah, um, it sure does, doesn't it? And I so we had our first meeting. So Isaac and I never knew each other um, until we met that first time to talk about AR and what was happening in that space. And then two meetings after we had come up with our first concept, which was um, Manu, Manu's Journeys, we partnered up with an organisation called South Auckland Families who helped us co-design the entire experience with us. Um, rapid prototyped, I think it was five weeks, and we had an app in the store, um, pushed out six stories on that platform, 
and then launched it at a big event that Happy Families were hosting. So the app that we were working on was designed to get people active, get them moving outdoors, and in particular highlight Pūnui Stream, which was one of the neglected waterways in South Auckland, but it had this real rich cultural, um, cultural narrative behind it. So we did that. We launched the first prototype of Manu, and then oh. about five weeks. <laughs> Isn't that funny? We've all just been listening to something else. I thought it was someone in our group talking. I was trying to work out where that was going. <laughs> it's very confusing. I'm sorry, everyone. Let's try that again. <laughs> Here we go. Here's the model. Yay! All right. So do, where do you want to start with this, Arena? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is um, where we've landed with our um, regional wellbeing framework, and we call it a regional wellbeing framework partly because we are the Regional Development Trust, and we felt that we managed to in, uh, capture a lot of what our communities told us um, through the development of this framework. So, um, this is Herangi Tapu Hetohu Order, which is the name of the framework, and uh, Sir Derek Laudelli and Lady Rosa Daly have worked really closely with us, uh, not only to help develop up our, our values, which Sarah was part of as that process, but also um, helping us to conceptualise our wellbeing in a way that uh, can speak to all the diversity of communities that live in Tairawhiti. So the name of the framework is Herangi Tapu He Tohu Order. In the middle, we've got our, um, our trust logo, um, and that's actually part of the framework. So um, we've got three principles that go right across this framework. And the uh, first one is Kia Modi 2, uh, which is all around integrity. Kia Tangata Rite, which is up the top, I think, is it? The, um, the, of the logo? Uh, um, no. When you press the logo in the middle. Of this one? Yeah. So you've Ooh. got um, the right-hand pillar down the bottom. Can you just press on that one? Yep. This one? The right-hand one, yep. So that's equity, kia tangata rite. Uh, that's all about looking at how wellbeing is distributed across our communities and whether or not any of our investments uh, or or um, funding applications that come to us uh, or have addressed um, equity of, in terms of wellbeing distribution. Um, on the left pillar, if you go across to the left pillar, we've got sustainability. So this is where we tried to encapsulate uh, that real strong voice of our communities, which is all around young people and future generations. Uh, so we felt that um, in our sustainability, princi sustainability principle, there is an element of environmental sustainability in there but uh, actually it also talks about us being good ancestors and thinking about our young people and future generations. Um, and then at the top of the, the um, logo is integrity. And that was really just an acknowledgement of tangata whenua, mana whenua in Te Tiriti o Waitangi. Uh, we're unique as a region in terms of our population makeup. Um, uh, mana whenua and Māori and tangata whenua make up significant um, and growing majority, um, 50, 50 plus percent of the population now. Uh, so our forecasting for our population is it's going to get bigger and bigger in terms of uh, young people who will identify as Māori as we uh, go through the 
the next three decades. So uh, we felt it was very important to um, embed our um, desire to partner and to understand what wellbeing means to a significant part of our communities. Uh, so the, the three principles are go right across the framework. And then, of course, we have our six, what we call muka or outcome areas. Um, and, I mean, just a bit of background around it. We had also been working with Connell Smith from Kotata Insights in Wellington, and he has been helping other regions to build frameworks. And so while we were developing up ours, Te Tauihu at the top of the South Island was developing up theirs. Um, and right throughout the process, as we kept in touch with each other, we realised we were actually, there were so many different synergies between our regions. It was quite incredible, um, especially around how people talked about what wellbeing meant to them. Um, and so when we look at um, what we've done as a framework, if you look at what Te Tauihu's done, if you look at the kind of uh, four wellbeing areas of the Treasury's Living Standards Framework, when you look at the sustainable development goals that many people use for wellbeing framework, you'll see the obvious synergies right across them. And I think it's it's very indicative of some of the fundamentals of wellbeing for lots of different people in our, in our, in our region and in our country. Um, but in terms of our six kind of key areas, knowledge was originally um, in our research spoken about in terms of education and learning, uh, but what we found from our communities when they talked to us is they actually wanted that broadened out to actual knowledge, um, and they felt that learning and education was just part of a broader continuum around not, uh, around learning, uh, so they didn't want it to com be confined just to what kind of qualifications are we getting at school, uh, are people in early childhood centres, you know, young people in, have come through early childhood, they wanted us to acknowledge that uh, there are different systems of knowledge uh, that we could call on. There's different ways to transfer knowledge through experience and hands-on. Uh, and how are we looking at our community in terms of um, valuing people's experience and transferring that knowledge to younger generations? Um, so, yeah, there was just this much broader context around education and learning that we felt we wanted to capture. And it was captured a lot better in this notion of knowledge rather than just education and learning. Um, we're also mindful as a community trust that we have some significant uh, and funded sectors in our community like health and the Ministry of Education. So we're, we're not about to duplicate our funding alongside funding that already exists for our community. Uh, so we didn't, we purposely didn't um, separate health and education out from community wellbeing because we felt that all part of community wellbeing. And indeed, uh, the way this framework works is it's all interdependent anyway so you can't really look at one part of our community like the economy without understanding what communities looks like what kind of impact does it have on our environment uh, is it building good relationships for us you know so the framework talking to people and creating the framework was about this idea around thinking about our communities as holistic and thinking about people and Fano as holistic uh, and not trying to separate out their desire to be healthy from their desire to have a good job, from their desire to have a good strong network in their neighbourhood, uh, to want for, 
for them to want good green spaces and access to pathways for these children. You know, so what we were realising is that uh, we had to make sure that our wellbeing framework was interdependent and and quite interconnected. Uh, and so that's why the framework uh, operates in terms of having some overarching principles and then six kind of key areas that are considered any time we look at any type of funding application. And I think one of the things that's really powerful, and I love the way that you sort of said this earlier on, was in the end, a lot of it was the research that's already established. But by those conversations you were having with people out in the community, that's kind of what took it to the next level and brought it to life. And then people, I'm sure when they engaged in it, they said, I can see myself in that, that yeah. you're reflecting back to me what is important to me. Yeah. And, you know, certainly, um, yeah. And like I said, these six themes, they are reflective in the re- initial research we did. But I guess it's really just the the context in which people talk to us about these different things is what kind of made it very community focused. And um, for us, when we created designed the framework up and we took it back out to a lot of the groups that we had um, gathered in for focus groups and and things like that. When we, how we did it is we took back out what they told us uh, um, based specifically on that actual focus group or community that we had with that that community. Um, So we, we played back to them what they told us and then we played back to them how we then took what they told us and put it into the framework. Um, So we uh, just made sure that they understood that what they told us is actually the intention of what the framework um, is. Also, them knowing that we we didn't just speak to them, we spoke to a whole lot of other people as well. So for us to be able to take specifically what they told us and then create a framework that's actually a regional framework, I think people really appreciated that process of actually being told how we got to the framework we got to. Mm. Yeah, so we so that that kind of buy into the framework is really great. Uh, in you know, on upon reflection, that continuous en- engagement is also really important. So even though we've done this massive campaign around talking to people about wellbeing, it's actually what we do on a daily, day-to-day basis to reinforce that engagement work that we started with. Yeah. Yeah, which is so important. I'm just going to stop sharing now so I can bring this um, this back, but I've just shared the link with everyone if you're keen to kind of be able to see it on your screens or, or follow it up later. And what I think is amazing, Irina, is, is just how interactive it is with so many things, you know, kind of able to explain how it all comes together. Yeah. 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 So tell me, let's move on to the measuring part. How do you measure something like this? Yeah, very difficultly. And it's quite complex. And uh, what we've found through the process is that, you know, we have um, available to us different kind of data sets at a national level, um, some more at a regional level. uh, And we have... um, you know, especially tracking with the um, Department of Statistics and looking at the kind of um, New Zealand General Social Survey data and census data, they've kind of created a whole um, package of well-being or, or just indicators and measures. So indicators being what is it that you're actually trying to find out and the measure is what kind of data are you going to capture to find out about that indicator? So, um, yeah, just getting our heads around the idea of what an indicator and a measure is, um, understanding that our wellbeing framework is a regional wellbeing framework. So, out of the hundreds and hundreds of indicators and measures that are available to us, what, how can we simplify something that's quite complex? We've got our framework. Uh, 
how do we start to even measure well-being? And so, you know, with the help of um, Connell Smith and Wellington, uh, coupled with our trustees and the, the wealth of knowledge that they have and our links into our community, we decided to start with a set of headline indicators around the framework. So every single part of that framework has some headline indicators and they're headline indicators that we can access good data from around our regions. So, they've actually, so the indicators and measures that we've got uh, with existing data have come through a process of can we get good quality data for this area, like for economy? Um, does it have regular capture points so that we can easily update it? So if it's annual, six monthly, annual or biannually. Um, and then also identifying what are our gaps. Uh, we, we quite like these indicators, but what are some of our gaps? So we went through that process. Headline indicators, the headline indicators have absolutely nothing to do with what we do in operations and the trust. But what we have done is set our headline indicators as a temperature check on how we think wellbeing is going in our region according to our framework. So our headline ind um, indicators are just like a baseline set of indicators um, based on weightings around our engagement data. So we've had technical support to do this, yeah, um, expertise to help us with this, based on our engagement data, our trust obligations, and, uh, and technical expertise around how to actually start to measure wellbeing. Mm. So yeah, we've got headline indicators. Then we go to impact indicators, and impact indicators are really focused on our operations. So what kind of impact are we making uh, if we're going to use this framework as our as our tool to, to make decisions? So what we did, which wasn't the original intention, was we actually turned the framework on ourselves internally, and we started to do a, a essentially a, a wellbeing framework audit across all our operations, uh, which we had never intended to do at the beginning, but we felt as a funder, uh, if we are actually going to use the framework to make decisions around wellbeing for our community, the least we could do was actually focus on our operations and check in that we're actually walking the talk in terms of assessing ourselves against the framework. Yeah, so the way that we've measured it is uh, we've created like an assessment tool that's uh, aligned to our framework. Um, again, it's been uh, supported by technical expertise, but it takes all our different parts of our framework and we can go through a process of uh, scaling whether what we think the type of impact is. <coughs> Excuse me. And then checking and challenging our assumptions around why we think it's impactful. And then when we go through that process of challenging our assumptions, we then say, okay, if we think that holding seven business events um, around digital strategies for small business is really impactful, how are we going to measure this? So um, currently we, we say we've done eight events a year. We have 30 people attending. Uh, these people come from these different businesses. But beyond that, the question is, and, and so what? So we start to look at outcomes. Okay, um, what is our short-term outcome? How do we think we know we've made some impact over those seven events annually? What would be some of the things we'd want to see from those businesses? So, yeah, we're starting to have these real uh, um, 
quite challenging talks internally around outcomes because uh, uh, to date we quite often report on outputs uh, but we don't actually talk about outcomes and we don't necessarily make them explicit and then we don't actually try to measure them so we've we've looked at our um, how we report in outputs what we think our outcomes are going to be and then try to define short, medium and long-term outcomes and then against those outcomes try to talk about if this is what we're trying to achieve in our short-term outcome, what would we measure that might give us a sense of whether that's made an impact or not. So yeah, we've used indicators and measures that exist to have those conversations or we've used our internal knowledge and experience and uh, staff intelligence around what they know about our communities to come up with some measures that we start to measure ourselves. Mm. So it's a real it's a real journey. Mm, I was going to say, because <laughs> yeah. it's one of the things with impact, isn't it, is you can have things that are instant impact, but mm-hmm. that longitudinal stuff, and this applies to organisations, so that longitudinal stuff is really hard to capture. Yep. Yeah, and um, I think just the way that our organisation set up, we, um, you know, we've been established for around 25 years. We do a lot of interactions with our communities and we have done over those 25 years. So we know we've got the infrastructure to actually be quite intentional around capturing longitudinal information now, whereas we, we actually have a wealth of longitudinal data in the organisation, but never with the intention of being very explicit about what it is we're capturing. Uh, so uh, we can certainly do a lot of reflection on data that we've captured since the late 80s but uh, you know the trustees and and this was the intention at the beginning they actually wanted something that was more structured had a lot more intention to it and we if we put a a sand a line in the sand now what what are we going to look like in the next 20 years because we've actually structured and made it more purposeful for us to actually create knowledge around the data that we're capturing to understand impact so yeah it's not that our organization hasn't done it before because we have but from you know 2020 onwards it's very intentional and very structured now so that we can kind of get a better sense around impact Mm, which probably leads nicely to the next question which is you know where to from here you've you've got the the starting of the measurement stuff you know the the framework is now there what happens next yeah, I mean, I've, there's two quite key things happening here. One is really um, ensuring that we stay connected to our communities and continue the journey with our communities because part of the impact on our communities from us doing this piece of work is that we're now having to talk to them about impact uh, and what that looks like for them. And, uh, you know, as with many different diverse organisations and groups, everyone is actually wanting for this type of knowledge and information around how to better um, profile impact of what they're doing. A lot of funders are looking at outcomes-focused funding and accountability, which tends to focus on impact. So what we're realising as much as we're on the journey with our community and with our organisation, it is also our obligation to support our communities to actually go on that journey because a lot of them are a little bit under-resourced, especially our voluntary organisations. They don't have that full-time resource to help. So uh, part of our our journey is supporting our recipients that get funding and investment from us where we can, or if we think they've actually got the capability and the nous to actually really um, talk to them about shoring up what that looks like and being very um, intentional around what what our mutual benefits are from measuring 
gathering data. So yeah, there's that part. And then there's also just really, really challenging our operations um, and trying to get to a point where we currently do 70 different activities and, and services internally uh, and thinking actually if we're going to prioritise wellbeing according to our framework, perhaps we should only be doing 30 or 20 activities and investing and accelerating wellbeing and 20 activities rather than 70. So, yeah, it's a, it's a real challenging time internally uh, to get our organisation um, on that journey of actually being, of actually measuring and intentionally measuring impact, understanding what impact means. Um, so, yeah, for us, we've, we've kind of got the framework, we've got some headline indicators, that impact indicator of measures, I think it's going to be a bit of a trial and error period for us in the next 12 months, uh, just trying to define what our short, medium and long-term outcomes, how we think we can measure it, trying it, and then thinking, actually, that's that's great. Let's do that more. Or actually, that's not actually telling us what we thought it would tell us. So, yeah, we're going through a real trial and error phase at the moment with the framework internally. Yeah. And I, what I love about that is it's it's not saying that it, all of this is set in stone. It really is about a, in a real iterative process. Yeah, it is very much so. Um, there are a few things that we're trying to kind of get off the ground um, at the same time. One is uh, our annual regional wellbeing survey because we've identified a lot of the gaps in wellbeing data at a national level. So trying to look at how do we ask similar questions that could be comparable to national data but how do we also capture measures that matter to us um, regionally? And what we've found in that process is <clears throat> there's a lot of interest from all sorts of organisations in region to be part of that survey because they want to find out the same information. Uh, so we're going through a lot of collaboration in that space at the moment. But then we're also finding across regions, they actually want to look at our regional wellbeing survey and take it and just use it in their region and perhaps add on the questions that they want. So what we're finding is that there's this real appetite for people to actually start to get to understand wellbeing and capture information and data around it. So yeah, it is. It's it's a it's a growing journey internally, externally and kind of nationally. It's all kind of happening at the same time. Yeah. It's a wonderful way of summarising it. Um, and then just one, one last question for you is what would you recommend for anyone else about to embark on a similar journey in their own organisation? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, my realisation that how important engagement is and actually making sure that, uh, you, you know, the, the people that you're um, wanting to create a, a framework with or for um, or to support, uh, that you're really um, having really good conversations with people and really trying to understand what well-being means to them um, and then trying to help, you know, especially internally in an organisation, bringing all of your staff on that journey to co-designing something where they've had an opportunity to feed into it. You've tried to co-design something uh, that kind of speaks to every single person, but also right across the organisation. Um, and as you know, as part of our journey, it was looking at our values again and, and looking at looking at the, the wellbeing framework, what people are saying, does do our, are our values fit for purpose for us or do we need to change them or do we need to talk about them more as an organisation and start to look at how do you role model values based on, the, you know, so I think, um, 
you know, my my real my first bit of kind of advice is yeah, just that engagement piece, really talking to people around what what it means to them, so that when you do create a framework that you might use for all sorts of uh, reasons in the organisation, uh, you're actually it's actually a framework people believe in because they can see themselves in it. Yeah, so I think that would be my most important piece of advice. Thanks again for listening today. It's been great to have you along. If you're keen to join the revolutionaries of wellbeing, head to rowwellbeing, that's R-O-W wellbeing.com and follow the links to sign up. If you're in our community, thanks again and we look forward to catching up with you really soon.